welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. We are starting a, a series today called Christmas Cheer. And, uh, I, I, you know, there's a lot of people getting down and discouraged. And I thought, we, we need to be full of joy, full of good news, full of cheer. And so uh, we just are doing a, a short two-part series this week and then, of course, on Christmas Eve. And uh, as, we, as we started out for this weekend, I wanted to bring in somebody that I thought could cheer you up. And uh, I asked Eric Samuel Tim to be uh, the one that would kick off this series. Um, he is one of us. He's from Wisconsin. He lives in Minnesota. He travels the world with um, Toby Mack and Carrie Job and Hillsong, different groups, travels around the world speaking, preaching, using his humor. Now, this guy is smart. This guy is funny, but it's a kind of funny that'll sneak up on you funny, all right? So be, be ready to laugh, be ready to cheer, be ready to have a God moment. And uh, we love this guy. He's a friend of ours. Will you welcome Eric Samuel Tim? Thanks, Pastor Rob. No pressure after that intro. Um, I used to attend River Valley when I was in Bible school. For four years, I set up chairs when we met in Falcon Ridge Middle School. How many of you remember those days? Portable church. Some of you didn't learn the art of chair stacking like I did. I'm a chair stacking ninja. It's on a business card I have in my fanny pack. But here's the bottom line. I decided to do an internship here at River Valley. I was looking at all of my options and I thought, what better place to go and do an internship? Where I then continued my mastery of stacking chairs for my internship. Part of my internship, Pastor Rob bought me my first set of golf clubs. Not very good at golf. Um, and part of staying on staff at that time, you had to be good at golf. So... There was another intern that was really good at golf. So he got hired and I got fired. So it's good to be back without my golf clubs. Hey, uh, winter starts Wednesday, technically on your calendar. And there's parts of Minnesota that are just a few degrees on par with the surface of Mars. So that's encouraging. This week is special. You got to like a small week that's ahead of you before Christmas where we get to do some of the things that we only do during Christmas, making Christmas cookies. I mean, if you made a whole bunch of Christmas cookies in July, you'd be weird. But we make these like delectable little treats and we share them with our kids. You roll out the sugar dough and then you, you know, cut them into little shapes and the stinking snowman's head always falls off and you try and repair it with frosting and then you eat you know, a half a dozen. Who am I kidding? You eat like three dozen. And then those cookies, they begin to shape you like the shapes. You, you start looking like that snowman that you cut out. Uh, Christmas traditions. It's a part of the season. It's this week that we get to do these things. Um, movies. You get to watch Christmas movies. Uh, Elf. One of my favorite Christmas movies. Any other Elf fans out there? Those of you that are watching online, you're cheering in your house or your hotel by yourself. That was weird. 
the best part of Alf is the part where Mr. Norwal comes out of the water and he just says, bye buddy, hope you find your dad. <laughs> and then that little puffin goes, there, 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 there. I cry every time at that. I love that part. You're going to watch, you know, Christmas Vacation. You're going to watch different movies. It's a Wonderful Life. You're going to watch Golden Girls on Netflix. Maybe not. I, that's just me, I guess. Holiday tradition. Santa Claus, another holiday tradition. He sees you when you're sleeping. No. You don't want to see me when I'm sleeping. It's not a good look. It's like, this drool's coming down. He knows when you're awake. That's creepy. I grew up, um, and I heard the story of Santa Claus, and I don't want to blow you-know-what for you-know-who. Some of you are like, what? No. He comes down the chimney. We didn't have a chimney. So how does he get into your house? He breaks and enters into your home. To the fr- Good night, kids. There's going to be a strange man dressed in a suit that's going to come eat our food, break in the house, sleep good. I mean, think about all the different Christmas traditions. There's even poems and songs we sing. Twas the, say it with me. Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house, not even a mouse. Look, if you got mice in your house... You need to handle that before you have Christmas, okay? Those cookies you leave out for Santa that have been mysteriously disappearing every year from Santa Claus? No, you got rats. That's your problem. Think about Christmas lights, this crazy tradition that we ensue on. Now, if you're like me and your Christmas lights look like this when you put them away the previous April... And the Christmas light troll went down into your storage area and then literally like sort of balled everything up and then took out that one stinking bulb. You know the bulb I'm talking about? We can be friends if this is you. If you have your Christmas lights alphabetized and organized by string length and size and color and consistency and clarity and cut. That's basically what a diamond is. You, you and I, we, we, we can't be friends because this is how my Christmas lights look every year. And coincidentally enough, by the way, if you want to know, my two-year-old, my little baby girl proved this, uh, Christmas lights do work at the bottom of a toilet bowl. <laughs> Illuminated that John, little Christmas right there in the, in the John. It was beautiful. My wife and I took them out. We, like all things electronic, We put them in rice. So when you come to my house, don't eat the rice. Just pass it along. Christmas Christmas lights are a crazy tradition. In the 1800s, they started this um, crazy idea of putting candles in live, uh, like pine trees. The pine brows of a tree, they'd take a candle, they'd melt the wax onto one of the branches. The wax would be uh, hot enough where the candle would then stick in the wax. And then because of the cold air, the, the wax would harden, the candle would stay, and then they would light the candle in a live pine tree. That was smart. Think about the calls that the fire department got that year. If they had phones, I'd have to Google that. I'm not sure yet. 
But in 1890, they actually made a little sort of container for these Christmas lights. And ever since then, we started to decorate our houses, our trees, our neighborhoods with Christmas lights. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. In fact, it stirs Christmas cheer in us. We get to sit in front of these people's houses where it took them weeks and days and months maybe to make this light array. Their power bill has to go up. You're sitting there in front of it and they just completely Clark Griswold their entire house. And you're like, this is beautiful. One Christmas light this year that I saw a guy had a big, huge inflatable Santa on his roof. And then he took rope light, uh, yellow rope light, and he arched it as such to go into his fountain in the front yard where Santa was just a little rainbow of Christmas glory, just like tinsel string through the air. My son saw that and he goes, dad, can we do that? Literally or, or figuratively? <laughs> I mean, if you've ever sat in front of a house that's been Clark Griswold, okay, if you don't understand that reference um, where the lights are all crazy, if you ever stood in front of a house that's been absolutely Pinteristed, okay? Ladies, by the way, give your husband a gift in 2017. Stay off Pinterest, okay? Because all Pinterest is for us husbands is a to-do list. It becomes like this thing where you're on Pinterest and you walk into the house. I'm not a general contractor. I can't shellac all our plants, tear out our kitchen cabinets, rip up the counters, make them cement, make a hardwood marble floor that's got a recessed trampoline. No, I can't put a swing in my bathroom. You don't want to hang out in there. <laughs> but if you stood in front of a house that has amazing display of Christmas lights. There's a part of you that is stirred where you can't help but smile. And if you've lost that wonder, just take a child that's 10 or under and bring them and show them a display of Christmas lights that's just downright crazy. And you'll see Christmas cheer just show up on the faces. There's something about Christmas lights. So let's talk about that today. Let's talk about Christmas lights. First, let's talk about light. Light is an amazing thing. It's electromagnetic radiation. The hotter the collision of the objects, the more light it emits. Light travels at 300,000 300, kilometers per second. It's the fastest thing on earth that we know of. It's unbelievable. It's a mystery. Science is even having a hard time wrapping their brain around light. It's these protons, these packets of energy that can travel through space without any other assistance from any other object. It can travel in a vacuum. Light just does what it does. It doesn't need permission. It just goes where it's going to go. And it's a wave and it's a particle. And that's important to note that it's a wave and a particle. Why? Because there's a part of light that you see and there's a part of light that you feel. It's like when you walk out in the sun and you feel the sun, but you also see the sun. Light is unbelievable. How far it travels. Now, if you got in your car or your horse or your buggy or your whatever you came here in, your snowmobile, maybe for some of you. If you literally drove to the closest star, um, 
you'd get there in 114,000 years at 125 miles per hour. That's how far light is traveling from the closest star at night. Your kids would also kill each other in the back seat. (laughs) But light is one of these things, it's a mystery even to us, even to the science community of the wonder and the majesty of the science of light. My favorite part about light when it comes to Christmas lights was as a boy, I grew up with a grandmother who was crazy. She had a huge baby blue afro and a Buick that matched. She smelled like yogurt and cinnamon rolls. She gave me sugar cereal. My mom, she would give me grape nuts. And mom, if you're watching, thanks. I'm regular. But my grandma Lorraine would give me lucky charms. That changed my life. Captain Crunch, oops, all berries might be the best cereal on earth. And if you eat it, make sure you let it soak in the milk for at least 10 minutes or it'll cut the roof of your mouth because it's like fiberglass. (laughs) The more you know. But in reality, my grandmother loved Christmas lights. She was the lady that people would go see. Her house, the Christmas village inside and out was a winter wonderland. I remember hauling up boxes as a small boy up from her basement, asking her this question. Grandma, why do we do this? Why do we do all of these things called Christmas lights? A lot of work. And she just simply said this, I'll never forget it. She said, Eric, it's because Christmas, Christmas is the celebration of light, the light, Christ. That's why I do this, to tell the world that Jesus is like this light. So if we're gonna talk about Christmas lights, we gotta talk about light, but we also have to talk about Christ. Christ must lights. Open your Bibles with me if you have them. Now, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to Luke chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, talk to, uh, to, talk to somebody here at the campus um, that you attend or stay at a hotel. Just stay at a hotel, take the Bible out of the drawer, free continental breakfast and a Bible. Does it get any better? I don't think so. That's where I got this one. I don't want to talk about it. It was a long time ago. Luke chapter two, verse eight. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping their watch over their flock at night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to them and the doxa, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were absolutely frightened. And the angel continues and the angel says, now don't don't be afraid. I bring you Christmas cheer, not fear. I'm not here to give you Christmas fear. I'm giving you the good news, Christmas cheer because Jesus is born. Now you got to catch this because before Jesus is even born, Christ is announced in light. Before he's born, he's announced in the doxa, the glory, the light. Now flip over in your Bible to this other part. In Matthew 2.2, the Magi, they ask in Matthew 2.2, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Couple things to note about the Magi. The Magi, it's plural. The word for Magi is a plural form of these wise men. We don't know how many there are. Were. Your nativity scene 
with the three. It's because tradition has sort of led us into gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we think that there was three, but there could have been two. There could have been up to even 10. 10 of them maybe brought all gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't really know, but one thing's for sure is they showed up on the scene after Jesus had been presented in the temple, which time had passed anywhere from 33 days up to two years, depending on part of the ancient world that they were from, they would have to journey then to go see Jesus. Now, when Jesus, before he's born, he's announced in light, and Jesus, after he's born, he's marked in light. And then they get to this place and then they show up and they find him there as Jesus being this one that is marked, marked in light. Um, they could have showed up, I guess, when Jesus was two. Think about that. They travel this star on this journey for up to two years and they finally get to the place where this savior was born. Jesus could have been walking and talking by then. I like to think about Jesus being an early walker, though. He was Jesus. He's born, he gets out, cuts his own cord, and he's like, let's do this. <laughs> Some of you are picturing in your mind right now a baby, like, oh, psh, okay, here we go. That would be enough of that picturing. Let's go to John chapter 8. There's a part in John chapter 8 where Jesus, after He's born, not only is he marked in light and announced in light, but then Jesus in John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world and he who follows me will not walk in darkness. Catch that for a second. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have, she will have the light of life. Can I just simply say something to anybody that's in this room or watching online right now? This last year, if you felt like you're, you've been walking in the dark and you don't have your faith or your trust placed in Christ, it's no wonder that you feel darkness around you. Because you're not following Jesus, you're following something else. Because those that follow Jesus, they don't get the darkness, they get the light. If you feel like you've been walking around in dark, maybe you're following a version of what you think religion is, or maybe you are following your past life, or maybe you're following something that you want. It's a great litmus test for us all to when we really are in that place where we feel like we're following in the dark, we got to ask ourselves, who am I following? Because if you follow Jesus, you don't walk in the dark. Your faith in Jesus doesn't make things easy, but it does make them possible. And it promises to not leave us in the dark. The second thing I want to say about this portion of scripture is when Jesus says he's the light of the world, he's not just making a claim about himself. He's making a claim about the Torah, the old covenant. The Torah was the center for all of religious life in Judaism. Rabbinical study will reveal the Torah was the centerpiece of everything. The, the word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The first five books of the Bible were seen as light. Like if you follow this light, this is the path to life. And Jesus, when he says, I am the light, what he's also saying is the old way of the law 
is going to grow dim and I am going to forever shine. You follow the law, you'll walk in darkness. You follow grace and the new covenant, you'll walk in life. Offended his audience greatly. Paul picks it up later in 2 Corinthians. You can read it for yourself. He says something to this effect. The light that shone on Moses' face, the law, the covenant of law is a fading glory. The light that shines on Jesus' face will never fade. It's important to note. But my favorite, my absolute favorite is Matthew chapter five, where Jesus, he looks at us, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, and he just says this, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. So let your light shine before men to see in such a way that your father, to glorify your father, who is in heaven. Jesus calls us light. Of all the metaphors he could have used, do you know what he used? Light. That's what he calls you. Why? Why did Jesus call us light? I think there's four properties of light that illuminate this best. Do you remember your car? Your first car? Think about it. It wasn't a question of how many problems it had. It just was a question of how many problems could it have and could you still drive? Mine was a Delta 88 Oldsmobile. It was teal. It had velour interior. It was my grandmother's. It smelled like yogurt and cinnamon rolls. I wanted a stick shift so bad that I actually took a Louisville Slugger baseball bat and taped it to the floor and pretended like I was shifting through the gears. But this car was so big, you could hit a deer and you wouldn't know for like a month. <laughs> you could put an outboard Johnson nine horse tail. You could literally go back trailing for walleye with this thing. It was huge. I remember going home from a friend's house and these two deer kind of came in my peripheral and they crossed right in front of me. And I don't know if you've been driving your car, whatever your car is, and you see a deer and it's like right as that deer is illuminated by your headlights, the deer looks up over your hood and just says, your deductible's going up. Your deductible is going up. These two deer crossed right in front of me. The one knocked out my right light. The left one knocked out my other light and it just literally would make this crisscross. They, you know, Knocked out both headlights. I was out in the country. There's no moon. There was no street lights. I was driving blind. I ended up in the ditch. If you, if you went home uh, later or whenever you drive at night, if you didn't have the, you know, other cars or the street light or the moon, you shut off your lights, you'd be in trouble. That's because illumin illumination is the property of light. It gives direction. Why did Jesus call us light? Well, I think because we illuminate and give direction. When was the last time a follower of Christ illuminated and gave you direction? There's a chance that if you follow Jesus in your story, someone came up to you and you encountered their life and they spoke a word that was timely, like a setting a silver, an apple of gold, and they illuminated a path that maybe you didn't see because they were being light. And that's who you are. You're light. Second property. When I was little, I used to get ready for bed and I'd flip off the light switch over here on this wall. In my bed, it was over there on that wall. 
and there's that space between the light switch and the bed. You know what I'm saying? Where Smeagol from Lord of the Rings lives. How many of you have ever done this? You flip off the light switch and then you take off running and it's like a double sow cow, triple toe loop and you jump into your bed. Clap if you've ever done that. Okay, if you're not clapping, you're lying. And if you're online, you're like clapping and your, your wife's like, how are you doing in there? Just walk, going, going to church, Never mind. Or you go downstairs and you were watching a movie that you shouldn't have been watching. It was scary and you go downstairs and then you turn around and you know, it's normally just the basement, but as soon as you flip off the light switch, it's like the basement. And you're going up the stairs and you're like, there's something behind me. There's something behind me. You've done that? You're laying in bed trying to go to sleep. You hear some crazy noise. You pull up the covers over you like that's going to work. A velociraptor comes into your room and you're like, can't get me. 300 thread count. Got him at TJ Maxx. Egyptian cotton. It's mystical and powerful. You're dead every time. Why would you as a grown man um, who is from Minnesota with the multi-campus church had one of the best interns ever that you fired? <laughs> Have a nightlight in your room still. Not naming any names, whoever that may be. Uh, you, you turn on the light when you're in a strange place because why? It, it, um, it illuminates, yes, but it also dispels fear. That's what light does. It dispels fear. That's who you are, a dispeller of fear. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, there's a fourth property, and I, I really love this one too. Um, third, actually. My son, he's, he's a four-year-old. He had this little science experiment. He had to have a dirt cup, a cup of dirt, put this little soybean in it, and it was moist soil. He took the soil and the soybean, and you had to do one more thing. You had to set it in the, say it with me, set it in the light. It's because when you set it in the light, life grows because light sustains and creates life, and that's what you do. In the natural, you sustain and you help create life. In the super, he does the super, we do the natural. There's a fourth property in Minnesota that's especially fun is when you come in outside from a minus 25 degree day and you light that candle that someone gave you at your work party, that someone gave them from their previous work party, that someone gave them from that previous work party, and on and on, this peach, maple, nut, onion, sunrise candle travels. And you light it and people think you're making Indian food and it's really a pottery barn candle that didn't sell well. Because it's onion flavored. <laughs> or you come in from snow blowing your driveway and you turn on that gas fireplace, you sit in front of it. It's comforting. That's what light does. It's comforting. That's the fourth property. That's why I think Jesus calls us light because we are to illuminate and give direction. We are to dispel fear. We are to sustain the life that's being created and we are to be a comforting, warm light. Amen? But why? Why did Jesus call us light? I think this reason. Because he knew there'd be shadows. Jesus calls us light because he knew there'd be shadows, like 23,000 children that die in a ditch or their mother's arms or a hospital bed because they can't get food every day and we have leftovers in a paper bag. That's a shadow of hunger. 
We could go on a global scale, but let's just look local. I asked the pastors to tell me what are the shadows that they face in Apple Valley. 10 years, the economic divide has widened. 171% increase of people living below the poverty line. People are going to go to bed hungry and they're gonna wake up hungry in Apple Valley tonight. They're in a shadow of hunger. And Egan, a little harder to measure on a census, spiritual apathy seeks to consume Egan. People are settled into a life that's calculated and measured. It becomes all about the self. And Jesus is placed outside of the self. And they're consumed in a shadow of themselves. In Edina, the political divide has raptured and literally like fractured families where kids can't go to birthday parties because of the way their parents had voted. And they're caught in a shadow of division. In Faribault, the community there suffered a horrible tragedy of a murder-suicide. And now that community is reeling with the conversation around anxiety and depression. And they're caught in a shadow of sadness. In Minatrista, do you know anybody who abuses alcohol? Do you know anyone laying down their life of their family to pick up a career. In this such area of tradition and longevity in Minatrista, people have an idea of Jesus and they're in that shadow of what they think Jesus is versus who Jesus really is. In Minneapolis, the drug addicts that fall prey to the chemical, drug, drugs, drugs, the business owners and the, the vice presidents who f- fall prey to their career, it's work, work, work. The person on the right path that's becoming more like Christ, less like themselves, takes a detour and they go and party, 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 and they're on a path and they're in a shadow of addiction. All three of them are in a shadow of addiction. It's just a different form. Shakopee. There's a divide in the mind and the heart where Jesus becomes equivalent to sports, investments, Jesus. He's chosen among those things rather than the foundation of those things. And they're in a shadow of missed opportunity. In Woodbury, from the last census to this census, 39% increase in the single families. Single parent families, 39% of them in Woodbury are single parent mothers or fathers raising their kids. And they're in a shadow of loneliness possibly divorce. And the list goes on. Why did Jesus call us light? Because he knew there'd be shadows. Christmas tear, Christmas fear, not Christmas cheer. So what are you going to do about it? Because you got one week, clock's ticking. And this is the week where kindness is welcomed. It's not weird. So embrace the awkward until it becomes anointed. When you're filling up your car this week and there's that island that separates you and humanity called the gas pump that asks you 30 questions before it gives you gas. <laughs> Do you want to come inside? Do you want a retinal scan? <laughs> Do you want a receipt? No, just give me gas. It's minus 25. <laughs> Lean across the aisle, that invisible divide, and just look at that other person filling their car and say, hey, Mind if I buy your gas? I've been watching you for some time. (laughs) No, don't do that last part. (laughs) Buy him a tank of gas, invite him to church. Say Merry Christmas. What would it look like this week? Elf says this, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing out loud for what? I say this, church, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to shine a light to draw him near. Spread Christmas cheer, shine your light, draw them near.
That's the best way to spread Christmas cheer, to illuminate darkness, to sustain and create life, to dispel fear and to be a comforting light. I don't know how you're going to do it, but the Holy Spirit will equip you to do it. That's what he does. Remember the bulb? That stinking bulb, the one bulb. That was my great grandfather, Walter. Someone invited him to a service, much like the one that you'll have this Saturday. And he became a follower of Jesus. And then my grandfather, Matt, my father, and me, and Xavier, and Zeta, and Xander, and their kids, and their kids, and their kids. We'll always know the light. But it just starts with one. How do you get rid of shadows, church? You need more Christmas lights. Chris Moss lights. More Moss Christ lights. Shine more Christ in the darkness. Will it be hard? Yes. Light shines the darkest in the darkest places. Will it, will it be easy? No. Those that emit light must endure the burning. It's going to cost you something, but it's worth it because you never know whose world you'll light up when just that one. So don't miss this week not to receive Christmas cheer, but to be it. Don't just look at Christmas lights. Shine it and be a Christ light. That's my challenge. The clock's ticking. You got one week. Merry Christmas, everybody. Think about today, specifically when I was reading about how Jesus calls himself light and I couldn't get away from this for somebody in this room. What I love about this church is it's a spirit-led church. So I just got to ask you a question. If you're here today and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, have you been walking in darkness? Because if you don't follow Jesus, life is hard. If you do, life is hard, but it's possible. And so there's somebody in here that you never made a commitment to Christ. Maybe online right now, I'm talking to you. You're sitting at home, you're at a hotel. You've never physically made a commitment to Christ. And someone invited you today just to simply watch this service online. And you're sitting there or standing there or, or you're watching on a computer or your phone and you're not a follower of Jesus. Would you like to be a follower of Jesus? Because you've been walking in darkness, he offers light. So somebody's in this room at the risk of looking like a fool. I'm just going to simply ask if you're here today and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I want you to do something bold today. Maybe you've never made it your own. Maybe you've never made this your commitment where you literally have said, yes, maybe this was someone else's decision and you're here not by mistake. It's minus 25 out. You're not here by mistake. You wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you. Would you like the light of life? so you don't have to walk in darkness. So the count of three, I'm going to give you a chance to become a follower of Jesus because there's people that want to pray with you, including myself. What I want you to do is stand up on the count of three if you want to become a follower of Jesus. Jesus hung naked on a tree. I'm just asking you to stand in a heated building. And the rest of us are going to cheer for you. 
like the Vikings are still 5-0. and oh. That's a lot of cheering. I'm asking you, today, you're that burned out bulb and Christ wants to illuminate your life. Christmas cheer is coming your way. All you got to do is follow the way. So on the count of three, stand up right where you're at. Because this service, all this was for you. One, here's your chance. Two, three, stand up right where you're at. Hi. All the way in the back. Is anybody else? One second, stay standing. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Some of you are like, man, I missed it. I wish I would have stood. I didn't think anybody would stand. Well, God's a God of second chances, so here's your second chance. I'm talking to you. You wish you would have stood, you didn't. On the count of three, one, two, three, stand up. If I'm talking to you and you didn't stand and you're ready to stand now, go, go ahead. Anybody else? I knew it. Okay, you and you three and you, ma'am, come with me right here. Come down here. All the way down here. Somebody greet this lady. Somebody hug this lady. That's a lady. Go and hug this woman right now. Get down here, guys. Come on, family. Look at this family. Come on, guys. Come on, mom. Somebody greet this lady right here. Pastor Brandon, you pray with these people. Let's lead them to Jesus. It's easy. All of you that are here, I want you to know something. Coming to Jesus is one thing. Becoming like Jesus is another. And we're here to help you do that. Boys, I want you to know something. Young man, both of you will never have to say to your sons what have been said to you. You will become like oaks that God will plant and your life will overflow with favor if you follow Jesus. You will become something that you will not recognize and that hurt that has been bestowed on you will not be bestowed on the next. It ends with these two boys, mom. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? It ends. Darkness ends in your life. You don't get the grave. You got the victory and you walk in it in Jesus' name. These will become men of valor. They will not be a product of a statistic or a past. They will not succumb to the pressures of this world. They will be dedicated and consecrated to God himself and they will be world changers. They're standing in front of me as giants in this moment. They will never be what was before them. They will walk out and be what is to come through the one that has made them. And mom, you will be knit together and you'll be a woman of value. You are priestess of your home. And you are welcome here. You are cherished and you are loved. And when God made the world, he made it for you. 
So come back to church. Because it's not about a building. It's not about eight campuses. It's about the lives that inhabit those campuses in this building. You need to know this. Your life will never be the same. I'm eight minutes over. I don't care. Jesus, pray with these folks, people. And can somebody buy this family lunch today? Can somebody make sure she doesn't go hungry? Can someone reach out to this family and be the church today? You've been sitting in there and you go, man, I want to be a part of their life. Well, walk up to them and shine the light right now to them, like after this service. Meet them in the lobby. Make sure that if they, she needs an oil change in her car, it's done. Find out what they need. Jesus always looked at the need and said, I'm going to minister to the need and then I'll minister to the heart. So I'm asking you to do that, church. Jesus, let's pray together. Pray for these lives. Brandon, lead them to Jesus. Get them Bibles. Get them plugged in. Get their information. Make sure we continue this process. Jesus, I thank you so much for these lives that are impacted by your light. I give you the glory and the honor, Jesus. God, I pray for the people that are in these seats, the people that are watching online, Lord, that they will move from this place encouraged and challenged to be the light, that you'd give them opportunity, that you'd give them the creativity, and you'd give them the authority to shoot straight for the heart. Let cheer abound as they illuminate the darkness, to give direction, to dispel fear, to sustain the life that's being created and to simply be a warm, comforting light. Let us not miss this opportunity to be Christmas lights. In Jesus' name, I beg, I plead, I say, amen. Thanks, River Valley, for letting me be here. Amen, amen, amen. Great job, man. Amen. I want you guys to go with Pastor Greg, and you just go right off to the side there. And uh, let's show our appreciation to Eric and also for these lives that are changed. Let's thank God for what he's doing. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Come on, stand to your feet all across this place. We're going to get ready. I will never, ever, ever regret letting uh, people have an opportunity to give their heart to Jesus. Some of you might have thought it's too cold for somebody to not know Jesus and be here. I'll tell you this. uh, I've shared it so many times, but I'll say it one more time. My brother Rick was a long way away from God, went to church on a cold day in Arkansas. They got about an inch of snow. A hundred people showed up in a church that was about our size. And the pastor thought about not preaching, but he said, I'll preach. hundred people showed up. He thought about not giving an altar call. He said, surely, Lord, no one here would need to get right with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit said, give the altar call. My brother was the only guy that came forward that day to get right with Jesus. And so I thank God that we're a church that still gives an opportunity, no matter how cold it is, no matter how bad it is outside, no matter how good it is, uh, the light dispels darkness. And that's what happened here today. On your way out of uh, service today, you're gonna be given a little Christmas light. It's to embrace the awkward until it gets anointed. Look for an opportunity this week to be the light, to get someone to church, to, to make a difference in someone's world and to be 
more Christ lights in this world. Amen. Prayer teams, come on forward. Get ready to pray with people. Have yourself an amazing week and we'll see you here Christmas Eve. God bless you. Go shine bright.